This episode of the Enhancement Talent Podcast is brought to you by the Parts Unknown Board of Tourism. If you ever wanted to see the place where wrestlers like the Ultimate Warrior, the Berserker, and Papa Shango call home, then book your next vacation to Parts Unknown. Located in beautiful... Wait a minute, where is Parts Unknown? What do you mean you don't know? How the fuck are you supposed to advertise vacations to a place you don't know where it is? Yeah, I know it's a place. Demolition are from there, but how do you... You you know what? Fuck it. Everybody, go take a vacation to beautiful parts unknown. If you can find it. Jesus. Morons. Back in the territory days of the NWA, each individual territory would honor the NWA heavyweight champion as the top champion in the country, but would also establish a championship that would be the top prize for that particular promotion. In 1975, Jim Crockett Promotions in the Mid-Atlantic Territory established what would become the top prize in their promotion, the United States Heavyweight Championship. And that championship has stood the test of time, as it is the only championship to survive the demise of WCW and still be battled for to this day. Join us today on the Enhancement Talent as we continue our champion series and give you our list of the top 10 United States champions of all time. All right. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Enhancement Talent Podcast. I'm your host, the man in the rafters, the one they call Tony Lopez. With me, as always, the other half of the fabulous Lopez cousins, Dr. Bob Lopez. How you doing tonight, Bob? Doing great, sir. How about yourself? Doing okay. Doing okay. We're into the summer months, man. How's summer treating you so far? Just like all the other months, sir. <laughs> no big difference. Just keep it. <laughs> Yeah, right on, man. Fuck it. Uh, remember when summer used to mean something? Oh, Jesus. I, I work I work in, in, in my office, and we have one giant window in the front. But other than that, I'm in the back most of the time. So people will be like, oh, it's raining, or it's snowing, or it's 90 degrees outside. And I'll be like, well, I'm stuck in a room with fake clouds on my ceiling. So I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, right. A fucking tornado could blow through, and you probably wouldn't notice. Mm-hmm, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, tonight it's just you and me, Bob, because our usual co-host, uh, the Warsaw Blonde himself, Adam Kolavik, uh, unfortunately he's going to be uh, indisposed for the immediate future, at least, at least the next few weeks. So um, yeah, it's gonna we're going old school, just you and me, Bob, going at it, going at it tonight with our topic here, um, you know. But we have included Adam in the process. He has given us his votes for the topic at hand, and they are counted. So even though Adam's not here, he's here in spirit because he has voted in the process, and his votes have determined or played a role in determining the list we have tonight. Um, And that topic at hand, you know, we're still in the middle of our uh, championship series here. Last show, we had our top 10 uh, WWE slash WWF intercontinental champions of all time. So we figured that, you know, 
with our next installment in the series, we would go for kind of like the comparison belt uh, for WCW, I guess. Um, And that would be the U.S. championship. Um, To get into the the history of the United States championship, um, it debuted in 1975. Uh, and the the initial uh, holder was Harley Race, you know, one of the best to ever lace up his boots. Harley Race came in, and he was the initial uh, United States champion. The United States belt originated as the top belt for the Jim Crockett Promotions territory, which is Mid-South. Um, you know, back in the day, like we've said before on the show, um, all the, all professional wrestling was made up of different territories and the mid South territory, which was run by Jim Crockett ultimately would be called Jim Crockett promotion slash mid South, their top belt, the one that wasn't the NWA heavyweight championship, which was the overall belt for all the territories, their particular uh, territory top belt was the United States Championship, and that's the belt that we're going to be talking about today. Um, from 1975 until about um, 1986, uh, the United States Championship was the top individual belt for Jim Crockett Promotions. And then, like we said before, um, in 1986, uh, Jim Crockett Promotions became the flagship for the NWA. So the NWA championship became the top belt and um, the United States championship kind of became the secondary belt, which is kind of like, you know, the WWE or the WWF championship being the top belt there and the intercontinental belt being the secondary championship. That's kind of what happened with the U S championship from 1986 onward. Um, And, you know, as we talk currently, you know, the United States Championship, interestingly enough, is the one belt that is held over uh, from the existence of Jim Crockett Promotions and WCW. All the other belts that uh, were held during uh, that company's uh, time are all gone. But the United States Championship is the one belt that held over from the sale of WCW to the WWE. Um, it, it did disappear there for a couple of years after the, the whole invasion thing, but they bought it back in 2003 and it's been a mainstay in WWE since then. So yeah, that's like a little interesting tidbit that, you know, the United States championship is the one belt that has survived the death of WCW. Um, Bob, when you think of the U.S. Championship and its history and and everything, uh, what comes to mind? Like how how when you look at the U.S. Championship, where should wrestling fans hold it in esteem compared to all the other belts that are out there? I mean, it's pretty high up there. Um, I think if you would rank it, um, it, w- it would be ranked probably right below the Intercontinental Championship. Um, very similar to it. Um, the fact that it's um, lasted this long, and like you said, it was merged eventually with the Intercontinental Champion when Chip, when um, the WWE bought it, uh, they merged the two belts together, and the IC belt still stood the test of time. But then you said 2003 was um, it was brought back, 
and it's still out there. But um, yeah, I think in the top five belts and, and all the wrestling promotions at that time, probably I'd probably put it right there, number four, exactly what we're talking about it today. It's 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 pretty pretty prestigious belt, especially when you look at the names of the people that have held it. And your inaugural champ is Harley Race. You know, it, it's pretty legendary people. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, it's yeah. You look at you look at guys who have held this belt. You know, from Harley Race to Ric Flair. You know, to you know the the top of the top have held this belt because, like I said, it's it was the top belt for Jim Crockett Promotions in in uh, not Mid South, uh, Mid Atlantic. I'm sorry, I, I said Mid South earlier. I meant Mid Atlantic. Um, Jim Crockett Promotions in Mid Atlantic, which is one of the bigger territories out there. This was, you know, the United States Championship being their top belt. It's nothing, to, nothing to sniff at because you had some of the top um, wrestlers of that era go through that ter- territory. So, as as you will see as we go through this list, um, there's going to be a lot of top names that maybe some people. Um, you know, out there who don't really have that big of a, uh, you know, a knowledge of the U.S. championship when they see some, when they hear some of the names that we're going to mention and be surprised that they actually were holders of this belt. Hopefully that'll, you know, educate some people. So, yeah. Uh, anything you want to add, Bob, before we, uh, before we start the countdown here? Um, two things. Number one, you did a great job of uh, breaking down the history of the belt. Um, I thought that was a really, really thorough definition of it. So great jobs on that. And uh, number two, um, we are talking about the U.S. belt uh, that was run through the NWA um, WCW territory. Um, once the WWE bought WCW and merged the belt over, uh, we stopped counting Um championships uh that were held following the purchase of the wwf so um you know we we wanted to keep it kind of like the uh the wcw nwa championship we did a couple weeks ago we wanted to keep it just like that and not merge it into uh the, the wwf purchase uh <laughs> funny you mentioned that um i kind of forgot that <laughs> We were doing our voting. Um, So, yeah. Ah, shit. Um, Hey, that happens. You know, it it happens. It it doesn't impact the the voting all that much because we only have two people that um, showed up in the top ten that were from the WWE era, and they're pretty low on the list. That's my fault. That's my fault. I thought we were including WWE guys. Um, But the rule. Huh? You came I'm, up with the rule? Did I? Did I yeah. come up with the rule? Shit. Okay. Well, I'm a dumbass. All right. I'm I'm a dumbass. I forgot my own fucking rule. Um. So let's. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's my fault. I just work here. Yeah. Bob. Bob just works here. I'm. I'm. I'm the idiot that makes rules and then conveniently fucking forgets them. But. Um. Yeah. Well, as we were saying, um, uh, our number 10 is one of those guys that uh, I conveniently forgot not to include. Um, But yeah, let's just start with the list and go through it. We can mock me for forgetting the rule. Um, You know, 
rightly so, but you know, I'm not going to turn around and revote this list now. It's already been made. We're already recording. So fuck it. Um, you know, if we want to, if we want to do a remix on this, we'll do it at some point, but let's just go with the votes as we have them. Um, so yeah, just blame me for being a dipshit. Rich All right. Let's approve of this. What's that? Rich Tito does not approve of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, Rich. I'm sorry that I include what will be our number 10 spot here on our list of best U.S. champions of all time. Because number 10 on our list comes in with three points because I had him at number eight on my individual list. We're talking about, of course, Montel, Montel Vontavious Porter, better known as MVP, coming in at number 10 on our list. Uh, like I said, with three points because he was number eight on my list. Um, yeah, I mean, as far as uh, the WWE uh, version of the United States Championship, um, you know, there were not many guys that held it the way that MVP did. You know, he, he, uh, you know, he began a feud with, for the, for the belt with Chris Benoit. Benoit was the title holder at the time. Um, and, uh, he finally defeated him in a two, three out of two out of three falls match at uh judgment day in 2007, to claim the belt. And, uh, you know, he held it for a very pretty, uh, pretty good period of the time. You know, he, he was on and off champ from 2007 all the way up until 2009. Um, you know, he held, he held the belt here and there. And he, I, I think that he, you know, it, this was a period of time where I wasn't really watching WWE all that much, but I did know of MVP and I was really, impressed with him and i think having a belt like the uh united states championship at that time was uh was a good good thing for him because he he really wasn't good you could tell he really wasn't going to be the kind of guy who would you know get that upper card you know really challenge um seriously for the top belt but he was a good enough talent to hold the belt like the US championship which like the intercontinental championship was the belt that you were going to give to like your workhorse so an mvp in that era was one of the best workhorses that the company had um so yeah i, I just felt that you know in that period of time um mvp definitely was uh one of the better uh u.s champs of the latter day which is why i included him in number eight on my list again i'm a dumbass i totally forgot my own rule he shouldn't be on here in the first place but if we're going to include the way we're including it mvp comes in at number 10 on my list bob do you have anything to say about mvp i know you know you wouldn't have included him because he was in wwe so do you have anything to say about him at all well, I remember he during the time he had one of the longest runs as champion. Um, I think he ran it for about 343 days when he was champ. Um, you know, the, the feud he had with Benoit was cool. I, I actually remember him feuding with Matt Hardy over the title for a while, and that was fun because they would do like a lot of competitive spots against each other, uh, basketball and other things that they would do together. 
Uh, so that that made it entertaining, and then he also def- defended the belt against Flair and Rey Mysterio and The Miz. Um, I never saw MVP as you know that that upper echelon world heavyweight champ. I, I I never pictured him as a you know having that big belt around his waist, but uh, an IC belt or US belt, uh, he he wore it well. Um, you know, and he represented the company well when he had it. So, um, you know, if we would have. If I myself would have included WWE stars, I, I guess he would have been on my list. Um, but like I said, uh, I did not. So still a good pick. All right. Well, there we go. Number 10 on our list uh, coming in is MVP. All right. Let's move to number nine on our list. Number nine comes in with six points. And he got those six points from being number nine on my personal list. He was number 10 on Adam's personal list. And, Bob, you had him at number eight. We're talking about Ricky the Dragon Steamboat coming in at number nine on our list for top 10 U.S. champs of all time. Bob, you had him ranked highest, so you start. Let's talk about Ricky Steamboat. To me, Ricky the Steamboat was one of the most talented and accomplished athletes that you ever saw in the wrestling ring. Um you know, he was just so much fun to watch. And uh, he, you know, when he came out in 1976-77, um, you know, he was immediately just thrusted right into the uh, the main event picture. So he had four total reigns, 265 days that he was champ. Um, you know, his first reign, 19, uh, 1977, he beat Ric Flair. Um, he... He won it for he held that one for seventy two days, uh, defended it against Flair eleven times. Uh, Blackjack Mulligan, another uh, U.S. champ, um, you know six times before he ended up losing it to Blackjack Mulligan, and then in December of seventy eight he picks up his second belt, defended thirty nine times that belt again. He wins from Ric Flair, so now he's won two belts and he's won it from probably one of the greatest wrestlers in the history of the world. So that one he holds for one hundred and five days. 39 title defenses, 18 of those offenses against Ric Flair. Um, the Big John Study defends it against Ernie Ladd, Greg the Hammer Valentine. And again, he loses the belt this time to Flair in 79. Uh, his third reign, April of 84, he beats uh, Dick Slater. He defends seven times, five of them versus Slater. One against uh, Ivan Koloff, and he loses that title to uh, Wahoo McDaniel before he leaves to go join the WWF. He's over there in the WWF for a little bit, comes back a few months later after, um, no, he goes to the WWF for about two years, I think, and then he comes back, and then he leaves back to the WWF, and then he comes back again because he wasn't happy with the uh, the Dragon character that they had. So August of 94 at the Class of Champions, he gets a meeting with Stone, uh, Stunning Steve Austin at that time, and he wins his fourth belt that he only had for 25 days because during that match with uh, Stone Cold, he ends up... Uh, you know, hurting his back. He has to forfeit the belt three weeks later after he wins it at the Clash of the Champions. And uh, unfortunately, his career started dwindling soon after that. But uh, when Ricky the Dragon Steamboat held the belt, it was, you know, a great champion. Um, like I said, a lot of the uh, defenses against legendary wrestlers, especially when you're going up against Flair and you win two of those belts against him, um, you know, definitely deserves to be on the list. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, Ricky Steamboat, like you said, one of the most talented guys to ever do it. I, I was a huge fan of Ricky Steamboat back when I was a kid. Um, uh, still am. You know, the guy, you look at Ricky Steamboat now, and you, you're kind of convinced that that guy can just get in the ring and still do it. Yeah. You know, and 
you know, he, he had that match with uh, Chris Jericho. Remember back, what was this, it was like 10 years ago or something mm-hmm. when, uh, when, you know, Jericho was doing his whole, you know, Legend. legends. Yeah. Thing where he was, you know, going against all these like Piper and Snooka and all those guys. Mickey Rourke. But yeah. And Mickey Rourke, who can forget Mickey Rourke, but um, yeah. And then, uh, he would he would fight these guys, but Steamboat was the guy who still would be in there and still get like a really good match with with Jericho. It was really surprising because at that point, Steamboat hadn't wrestled in like over a decade at least. So yeah, Steamboat, in my opinion, one of the best to ever do it. He, very impressive runs with uh, the U.S. Championship. Yeah, definitely deserves the number nine spot here on the list. Definitely deserves to be in the top ten. So there we go. Ricky Steamboat coming in at number nine on our list with six points. All right, let's move to number eight on our list. Number eight uh, is going to be the last of our WWE mentions here. Uh, (laughs) uh, Number eight comes in with eight points, and he comes in with eight points because I had him all the way. And number three on my personal list, because if you're going to include the WWE era um, with the WCW or with the uh, U.S. championship, you got to include John Cena pretty up up there, pretty high on the list because John Cena, um, you know, held that belt for a long time in two different eras, really um, that. So, yeah, number eight on our list is John Cena with eight points. Um John Cena, uh, like you said, when he debuted, starts off kind of like a generic white meat baby face, didn't really get over all that much. Uh, WWE didn't really know what to do with him. It was kind of like a whole rock thing. Redid again, you know, with Rocky Maivia. The fans just weren't digging it. He was just, you know, like nothing was happening. And then all of a sudden, you know, as the story goes, Stephanie McMahon hears him freestyling on a on a bus or something, and she gets the idea in her head that he should start this whole white rapper gimmick, which of course catapults John Cena towards stardom. He really it really got over with the fans, and as Cena got um, rolling in the company, uh, his first singles championship that he won ever was the United States Championship. Uh, he, he ended up winning it over shit. Sorry. He ended up winning, uh, the United States championship from the big show at, uh, I believe it was, was it WrestleMania 20? I want to say, uh, yeah, I, th- I believe it was WrestleMania 20. Um, he won the United States championship, which as I said, was his first, uh, singles championship. And he would, uh, go on and hold that belt you know, basically with distinction until he started that feud with uh, JBL for the WWE championship. Um, and then once he won that from JBL at WrestleMania, uh, what was it? 22, right? I keep on forgetting which WrestleManias they are. Cause there's so damn many of them, but um, yeah, he eventually, uh, <laughs> he wins the, the, the WWE championship from JBL and you know, from there it's seen has got the rocket on him. He's not looking back. W the U S championships in the rear view, um, you know, and then he goes through his whole super Cena phase 
all the way up until um, WrestleMania 31. So, yeah, he's yeah WrestleMania 31 uh, back in 2015. He, uh, he faces Rusev uh, for the United States Championship. And as we all know, Rusev famously uh, entered the ring on a tank. That was that match, which he later claimed he had sex with his wife, Lana, inside the tank. And if that's true, good for you, Miro. Awesome. Uh, But, yeah, he ends up winning the U.S. championship from Rusev, and that starts the era of uh, the U.S. US championship open challenge. From that point on, uh, every week on Raw, Cena would basically just issue open challenges to anybody who would – who wanted to get a chance at the U.S. championship. And he would go up, you know, guys like – it would be a really good starting point for guys who were just coming up at that point. You know, he defended against um, Sami Zayn. Cesaro got a match in there. Zack Ryder challenged for it. Neville or Pac, as he's known in uh, AEW now. Um, all the way up until, uh, you know, Kevin Owens – beat him for it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, from that point, I mean, just the level of importance that Cena gave to that belt through that open challenge era, uh, I think garners him enough of a mention to, you know, make this list again. Like I said, I forgot the whole non WWE era, uh, rule, which was of my own making. So if I had had been abiding by that, of course, Cena wouldn't be on this list. But since I fucked up, Cena's number eight on our list with eight points. Um, Bob, do you have anything to say about Cena when it comes to the U.S. championship? I was going to start the, the you fucked up chance right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Kevin Owens came out. He, he didn't beat him for it. He just beat him in the match, but he didn't win the belt. Oh, that's right. That, that's right. That's right. I'm sorry. At that time, he was NXT champ. Um, there's a cool video of Kevin Owens' son watching him debut if you ever get a chance to see that that's actually pretty cool uh but yeah the open challenge thing was also really really cool like you said the up-and-comers uh, i remember bret hart came out and introduced Sami Zayn. that's when Sami Zayn, i think dislocated his shoulder um you know getting ready to run out to the ring um and then you mentioned the, uh, the other ones the uh, cesaros and, and and that was just fun during that time because you never expected who was coming out to ring and challenge and a lot of those those were pretty good matches actually coming from cena and um you forgot to mention the spinner belt because that's when he introduced the spinner belt too. Before that, yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> he had that going on, but um, again, he he was a, a long withstanding champ. I think he held the belt a total of five times when he had it. You know, uh, and he he represented the company pretty well when it, when he when he was champ. Uh, I want to say it was five times for um, four hundred and three days that he was champ. So, um, big show. And JBL and all the other people that he defeated for it, so he's a uh, he's a good mention. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I totally forgot it wasn't Owens who beat him for that match. It was uh, Rollins because that was the infamous match where John Stewart got involved and uh, yeah. and caught cost him the championship. Yeah. So yeah, uh, uh-huh. but yeah, John Cena, like I said, coming in at number eight on our list with eight points overall all right let's move to number seven on our list number seven comes in with eight and a half points just above john cena uh 
and he got those points by being number 10 on my personal list. He was an honorable mention on Adam's list. Bob, you had this person all the way at number four on your personal list, so we'll start with you. Let's talk about Wahoo McDaniel, who's number seven on our list with eight and a half points. The uh, the Chief, Chief Wahoo McDaniel, five championships, 296 days. He was champ, most famous Native American wrestler ever. Uh, the king of the Indian strap match is what he was known for. Um, you know, like when you have the dog collar matches or the bull rope match, they had an Indian strap match, and he was pretty much undefeated in those, I believe. Um, the guy was uh, pretty impressive, man. He played professional football in the AFL, um, and during the off seasons of playing, he would wrestle, and he would go back and forth and do that for uh, several years before he just decided, you know what, I'm just going to focus on wrestling. And uh, he went over to the uh, NWA, and that's where he ended up making a name for himself. Um, August of 81, he gets his uh, first ever belt against none other than Roddy Piper. Uh, he defends that one, eight, he defends that belt eight times, um, defeating Piper and Ivan Koloff and Greg Valentine, uh, Abdullah the Butcher. And he yells it for 31 days before he's attacked by Abdullah the Butcher and Piper, and he has to forfeit the belt. Uh, one of the things, if you actually go back into the history of the belt, this belt is forfeited many a times, <laughs> vacated. Yes, times. a lot of a lot of vacations for this belt. Yes, yes, indeed. So uh, May of '82, he takes on the Sarge Sergeant Slaughter. He wins a second belt. This one, 17 days, he's champion. Uh, defends it seven times during those 17 uh, days uh, against uh, Lex Luger, Roddy Piper, Sergeant Slaughter. But then again, he's attacked by Roddy Piper and Don Morocco, and he has to forfeit the belt. What happens when he forfeits it? The match, uh, the title goes back to the previous champ, so Slaughter's a champ again. So now we jump down to 82, Sergeant Slaughter, and what I mentioned, the Indian strap match. He holds this belt for 74 days. He defends it six times against Slaughter, against Dory Funk, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Abdullah Butcher again before losing it to Valentine. Then we jump to June of 84, picks up his fourth belt, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This one he only holds for a week because during the match, Tully Blanchard interferes in the match. And uh, according to stipulations from the NWA, due to his outside interference, the, uh, the title is vacated once again because that's what they like to do. So October of 84, it's the finales of the, the, the vacant uh, tournament that they have. It's uh, Chief Wahoo again against Tito's boy Manny Fernandez. Um, he defends that belt 42 times in the 167 days that he has. And just a list of people that he defends it against is impressive. Uh, superstar Billy Graham, Dusty Rhodes, uh, our, our friend of the show, uh, um, Ronnie Garvin, Ole Anderson, Dick Slater, Ricky Steamboat, Magnum TA, you know, all these legends that he defends it again. And then he ends, ends up losing the belt to Magnum TA in a, in a famous cage match. And after that, he jumps ship and goes over to the AWA, uh, never challenges for the belt again. But uh, the Chief, when he had it, he represented it well. Great champ, great defenses that he had. So uh, I definitely had to have him high up on my list. Yeah, definitely one of the top wrestlers of the 70s, man. Wahoo McDaniel. I always remember my dad talking about Wahoo McDaniel. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he was one of the, you know, one of the top guys out there. But, you know, he was another one who, by the time I was really in the wrestling, he was pretty much he done. Was, yeah. You know, it was, 
yeah, I, I, but I, you know, I, I do remember, you know, seeing matches here and there and he's really good, you know, really, really great worker. Um, and then, <laughs> of course, hearing shoot interviews of wrestlers nowadays, a lot of them don't have a lot of nice things to say about Wahoo McDaniel. You know, he's not around anymore to defend himself, of course, but a lot of people going around saying that he was one of the biggest stooges backstage. They would go back to Vince and, you know, kind of squeal on people. But, you know, hey, that is what it is. But that doesn't discount what Wahoo did in the ring. Like I said, great worker. And, you know, he did elevate that U.S. championship uh, when he did have it. So, yeah, there we go. Number seven on our list with eight and a half points, the chief, Wahoo McDaniel. All right, let's move to number six on our list. Number six on our list comes in with nine and a half points. And, well, Bob, you had him as one of your honorable mentions. Um, I'm going to have to take over here in Adam's stead because Adam had this particular wrestler at number two on his list, all the way up at number two. We're talking about the ravishing one, Rick Rude, coming in at number six with nine and a half points. The majority of that, of course, coming from Adam, who had him at number two on his list. Um, like I said, I didn't have Rick Rude on my list, so you know, to speak in Adam's stead, I you know looked up some of Rick Rude's uh, you know history with the championship, and you know I didn't put Rick Rude on my list because I don't really remember all that much about his championship run. Honestly, because I wasn't really watching WCW at that time. Um, But I was surprised to find out through all the research that Rick Rude held that belt for 14 months. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, he he only had one run with the belt and that but that run lasted over a year. And again, you know, it wasn't that when he lost it, it it was because he, you know, got pinned. He got injured. So, of course, like you were saying, Bob. You know, that belt gets vacated a lot. Recruit had to vacate the belt because of his injury, and he never won it again after that. But that 14-month run that he had with the belt was pretty damn impressive. He, You know, he won it against Sting in 1991 and held it, you know, from the end of 91 all through 92 into the beginning of 1993 and then got injured, and that was it. But, yeah. That's a pretty damn impressive run with the U.S. championship. He's the only wrestler to hold the belt in, you know, for over a year in one reign, aside from Lex Luger. Him and Lex Luger are the only two who have ever done that. So, you know, if I had known that going in, you know, I I probably would have tossed him at least an honorable mention as well. But, yeah, Adam thought highly enough of Rick Rude to put him all the way at number two on his list. So I think it's because, you know. Adam is a Rick Rude mark. I think he'll be one of the first ones to tell you that. But um, th- th- those accomplishments do, uh, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to fault Adam for putting uh, Rick Rude up on his list. So, uh, Bob, you, like I said, you had him as an honorable mention. What do you have to say about Rick Rude? Uh, I too loved Rick Rude. I thought he was a fantastic heel. Um, you know, there there was a lot of people that were greater at their job, and Rick Rude is definitely one of them. Um, he, he won the belt once, 378-day reign. Uh, he never won the big heavyweight championship. I remember we talked about the big gold belt that they did, like, as a secondary belt, and he was he held that one, but he never won, like, the actual main, main one. Uh, but when he was U.S. champ, you know, he wore it like it meant something. And, you know, he made it just as important as the heavyweight belt. 
Um, you know, like you mentioned, November 91 at the Clash of the Champions, he has that great angle with Sting. Sting's a champ. Sting gets injured. He's Rude's about to win the uh, the belt via forfeit, and an injured Sting comes back to the arena, <clears throat> comes back to the arena after leaving on an, in, uh, in an ambulance, and uh, that's how Rude wins the belt. Like you said, he holds the belt for over a year, uh, defends it 20 times, but to me, you hold the championship, you got to defend it, you got to defend it in style and against the big name people. Uh, 20, 20 defenses, three of them against Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Iron Man matches and cage matches, those are fantastic matches if you ever see them. Nikita Koloff, three of them. Again, that's another great opponent. Um, a very young Brian Pillman, great opponent. But then after that, you get Kensuke Sasaki, who, you know, he won, he won the belt once. Uh, you get Eric Watts. You get Van Hammer. You get Buff Bagwell. <laughs> and you get Tom, the Z-Man, Tom Zink. Um, that's what pushed it down for me. Uh, you know, he, he was a fantastic champ, great heel. But those defenses, like, I'm, I'm sorry, no, no, no ripping on Tom Zink, the Z-Man. I know you were a big fan of him, Tony. Uh, but, uh. Oh, yeah, he was my guy. I, I, I'm not going to, you know, just r- rapidly run and be like, okay, I got to w- watch Clash of the Champions because the Z-Man's going up against Rick Rude. No, I would give zero fucks about that match. So it's just like, that's why I had to put him down <laughs> as an honorable mention. I get it. He's a great guy. Um, you know, he's great with the Intercontinental Championship as well. But uh, for me, I had to put him at number 11 on my list as an honorable mention. Yeah, I think Tom Zink probably even gave zero fucks about that match. So. Yeah, I don't blame you, man. Um, but yeah, Rick Rude, like I said, I mean, he could only go up against who he who he had at his disposal. And, you know, I know a lot of those guys were not, you know, cream of the crop. You know, you, you mentioned Van Hammer, and it's like once you mention Van Hammer, you could pretty much stop. Mm-hmm. So it's like, Buff, yeah. Z Man. Yeah. And Eric Watts. Buff Bag. Huh? Yeah. Oh, God, Eric Watts. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it, but again, you know, Rick Rude, a 14-month run, hell. You know, it's, like I said, him and Rick, him and Lex Luger are the only guys to ever do it more than a year at, at in, one, in one go. So, there you go. At number six on our list, Ravishing Rick Rude, coming in with nine and a half points. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. All right. Well, we're into our top five now, and we'll start at number five. Uh, this particular person has 12 points, and they got those 12 points because in a great like think-alike uh, moment, all three of us, Bob, Adam, and myself, had this wrestler at number seven on our on our personal lists. We all had, them at, had him at number seven, uh, which gave – Give him uh, four points each from us for a total of 12 points. We're talking about Magnum TA coming in at number five with 12 points. Uh, Bob, we'll start with you. What you got to say about Magnum TA? So earlier you talked about, you know, people being popular during their eras. Uh, during the 80s and the NWA especially, Magnum TA was one of the most popular wrestlers um, just during that time. Uh, we've talked about him in the past during shows, how he was just being groomed to be the heavyweight champ, um, but he never made it there. But when before that, here he is feuding for the uh, for the U.S. belt, and he did a great job 
uh, representing the belt and um, being champ. His feuds with Tully Blanchard, Nikita, Nikita Kolov, those are legendary feuds that we've talked about in the past. Two reigns, 302 days that he's held it for. I mentioned earlier, he uh, March of 85 in a steel cage match, he, he beats uh, Wahoo McDaniel for his first ever belt. He defends the belt 39 times. Um, we're talking about 14 with Tully Blanchard, three times with Nikita Koloff, uh, six times with Ivan Koloff. Even superstar Billy Graham and Wahoo McDaniels got in there. Um, he even took on uh, the Ugandan giant Kamala uh, before he lost the belt uh, to Tully Blanchard and, uh, in 85. Um then his second reign, that first reign was 130 days. His second days, his second reign was even longer, 182 days. November of 85, he takes on Tully Blanchard and uh, the legendary I Quit Steel Cage match that I've talked about in the past. Um, you know, that's one of my all-time favorite matches. Tully Blanchard, Magnum TA, um, you know, he wins the belt there. And he holds the belt for fifth. Uh, he defends it 51 times. Uh, Abdullah the Butcher, Ole Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Arn Anderson, Nikita Koloff. Um, you know, he, they did a, an angle where he gets into uh, an altercation with at that time, NWA president, Bob Geigel, and he attacks them. So they have to, uh, to strip him of the belt at that time. Cause, and again, it's vacated. So they put him in the, uh, legendary best of seven feud with Nikita Koloff. And then unfortunately after that is when he's in his uh, car accident and his career is cut short, but when he was champ or when he was fighting for the champ, it was a lot of fun and he represented it really well. So Magnum TA had to be on the list. Yeah. I mean, he, like I said, we, we've talked about Magnum TA uh, countless times on the show. He always comes up, especially when we're talking about um, Jim Crockett promotions, WCW, how, um, you know, he was just, he just seemed like he was going to be their answer for Hulk Hogan. He just, he was going to be their guy. And uh, when he had matches, like you said, that, you know, all those matches he had for the U.S. championship, especially that feud he had with Tully Blanchard and that great, uh, you know, I quit match that he had, which has stood the test of time. Um, you know, he just proved that he could be that worker. He could be that guy who can, you know, carry your company and he was on he was at the precipice man he was doing everything he could with the u.s championship proving that he you know could be that guy to hold the belt and just that unfortunate uh car accident that he had that just ended his career just tragic you know because who knows what could have been if he was able to go from that point but yeah one of the true true um you know guys who just you know i i don't think there's anybody out there who who saw what Matt with uh he can do uh magnum ta and just um would have any doubt that he would be uh a great world champion and you know he proved that like i said with his runs with the u.s championship so yeah he just definitely deserves to be in our top 10 so there you go at number five a unanimous number seven pick from all three of us. Um, it's Magnum TA with 12 points. All right, Bob. Uh, we're going to move on to number four on our list. Number four comes in with 18 points. He was number six on my personal list. He was also number six on Adam's personal list. But you had him at number three on your overall list. So we'll start with you. Let's talk about Black Jack Mulligan coming in at number four. 
with 18 points. Bob, what do you got to say about Blackjack Mulligan? He uh, he was a big boy, man. Like when uh, when Jim Ross would say uh, business is about to pick up, that you just see Blackjack Mulligan, and you that's exactly what you think of when you see the man. Uh, six foot nine, three hundred pound Texan. Um, started in the WWF as a as a singles wrestler. Um, he actually got stabbed in a match um, just because of how great of a heel he was. Like so some nut fan ran over and stabbed him in the thigh, and um, you know he he ended up taking some time off. And when he returned, that's when they put him into uh, the tag team scene, and they, you know the, he he formed the Blackjacks with Blackjack Lanza, and they dominated that scene for a while. But then it's uh, after he, he did his run there, he became a single star and he went over to the Crockett Promotions. And uh, that's where, you know, he never again, he never won the major, major belt. But uh, that's where he, he became the U.S. champion. When he was U.S. champion, he made it look good, man. He was champ four times, 509 days. Uh, first belt he won in March of 76 against Paul Jones. Uh, holds the belt for 217 days, defends it versus 38 times Wahoo McDaniels, three times against Andre the Giant, which is definitely impressive, uh, three times against Dusty Rhodes, even Mr. Wrestling before he loses it to Paul Jones. November 76, him and Paul Jones go at it again. He wins his second belt, holds that one for 11 days, but then loses it back to Jones again. December 76, he wins it back from Paul Jones, defends that one 45 times, Holds the belt for 204 days. Uh, goes up against Wahoo, Dusty Rhodes, my boy Dino Bravo. I always loved Dino Bravo as a kid. Uh, and again, Andre the Giant before he loses the belt to Bobo Brazil in a no DQ match. And then his last match or his last belt reign, he holds it. Uh, January 78, he beats Ricky Steamboat. Holds that belt for 77 days. Defends it 25 times. 10 times he defends it against Ricky Steamboat. Uh, Wahoo McDaniel, Bobo Brazil, and then Mr. Wrestling before uh, he ends up dropping the belt to Mr. Wrestling, Tim Woods. And that's the last time he ever holds that belt. But, um, you know, a menacing man that you would see just had this great appearance and, you know, the father of uh, Barry Windham and, uh, you know, just the the leader of a great wrestling family and uh, definitely deserved to be talked about on this list because he was just a, a badass and a great champ. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, you know, Blackjack Mulligan, like you said, big, big Texas boy, uh, wrestling royalty, uh, father of Barry Windham. Uh, he, you know, a lot of people know him, especially coming up as, you know, tag partner, as you said, with Blackjack Lanza. The Blackjacks were a very successful tag team back in the day. But yeah, his, his solo runs for, with that U.S. championship were uh were great you know and i, I you know doing the research here and finding out you know that feud he had with with um what was it paul uh um, paul jones was it paul jones right I, I couldn't i blinked on his last name paul jones uh yeah just them going back and forth uh for that u.s championship one of the great rivalries for the belt of all time and you know blackjack mulligan Again, one of those guys that my dad would tell me about when he saw, you know, just be like a guy that, you know, great worker back in the day, uh, just intimidating as fuck. You you look at Black Blackjack Mulligan now, like old pictures of him back then. I was like, I would not want to get in the ring with that dude at all. No. He was just a total badass. And, yeah, 
you know, with his multiple reigns with the belt, how long he had it, definitely deserves to be in the top five. I have no problem with him being there at all. So, yeah, there we go. Blackjack Mulligan at number four on our list with 18 points. All right, let's move to number three on our list. And at number three, we have a tie. We have a tie at number three. Both guys that we're going to talk about coming in with 19 points. Uh, We'll start with at first with uh, this particular wrestler. Um, He was number five on the Adams personal list. Also number five on Bob's personal list. I had him at number four on my list. That's how he got his 19 points. We're talking about the hammer. Greg Valentine coming in as our first wrestler here at number three. Um, I'm still laughing at that that picture you sent me today, Bob, um, <laughs> when it comes to Greg Valentine. But uh, <laughs> uh, a little inside joke, people. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about that one. But uh, yeah, Greg Valentine, of course, not looking too uh, too fine these days. But um, but yeah, back in the day, back in that late '70s, early '80s period, uh, one of the great wrestlers out there hell of a heel one of the best heels of that era and um yeah greg valentine uh would be one of the guys who would uh beat rick flair for the u.s heavyweight championship he did that uh you know getting his first championship back in 1981 july 26th of 81 he uh beat flair for the u.s championship um held the belt for a few months, ended up dropping it back to Flair uh, in November of that year. Um, you know, then Valentine went and worked with WWF there for a year. Um, came back in 82, and that's when Valentine would uh, probably have his most famous feud for the belt. That was with Roddy Piper. Um, Piper and Valentine would have uh, these dog collar matches for for the belt. Um you know, if you've never seen uh, the first Starcade '83, that first Starcade with uh, with uh, Piper and Valentine going at it in that dog collar match, is one of the most brutal matches of all time. Um, it was a non-title match, but um, Piper ended up uh, winning the match. He didn't get the belt, but he ended up winning the match. And you know, as you can see in, during that match. Uh, Valentine did a number on Piper's ear. Piper was bleeding from his ear uh, in that match, and he uh, legitimately punctured his eardrum, did lasting damage to that ear during that match. Um, Like I said, if you go through uh, the history of, um, of, you know, United States Championship matches, even matches in general, that dog collar match between Piper and and Valentine is always going to be seen as one of not just the best, but one of the most brutal matches of all time. Um, but yeah, Valentine would go on to help, you know, he all overall, he would have uh three runs with the belt. Um, <clears throat> he would drop it ultimately to a uh, Dick Slater in, uh, in 1984. And that's when, uh, he left Jim Crockett promotions and would go on his long run in WWF there in the eighties. But when he was there, you know, like I said, one of the best heel champs of all time and definitely one of the best, uh, us champs in my opinion. That's why I put Greg Valentine so high on my list. Bob, what do you have to say about the hammer? 
Um, I mean, when we remember him growing up, you know, he was in the WWF, and and at that time for me, like Greg Hammer, Greg the Hammer Valentine was a single star, and to me, it was just boring. Like there was just nothing there about him. Um, you know, as we grow older, but when when you actually go back and look at his NWA time, that's probably when he was in the peak of his career. Uh, you know, you got this guy who was just tough as nails, old school wrestler, not flashy at all, not gimmicky. Um, but like you said, he was just one solid technical wrestler when he was in there. Again, you mentioned that uh, that uh, his first win against Flair. Um, you know, he defended the belt against Flair and Steamboat, and he lost it to Flair, like you said, in the Lumberjack match. Uh, the second belt he wins from Chief Wahoo McDaniel, um, defends it against Bob Orton and Wahoo and Gerald Briscoe. Um, you know, before before losing it, and then the last one, like you said, the legendary feud that he has with Roddy Piper, um, especially that famous dog collar match. Um, but that time holds it 32, uh, 228 days he holds a belt for, and he's defending it against Dory Funk and Flair and Piper and Steamboat and the great Kabuki before, like you said, like he lost it to Dick Slater, but. Uh, during that time, you know, he was just a hot commodity. You know, he's one of the best wrestlers out there. He was a fantastic champ, and that's why the WWF went out and got him again. But then they go out and they get him, and instead of just, you know, uh, right now, he, he at that time when he was champ, you know, he was just on fire. And what they do, they bring him in, and, okay, we're going to put you in the dream team, and then you're going to have a singles run, and then we're going to put you in rhythm and blues. Like, I just felt like they never really knew – like, well, we always talk about with the WWF, they, they really didn't know what to do with them. So, uh, damn shame. But the, during that peak of his NWA career when he was champ, he, he was just one hell of a champ. Yeah, most definitely. And that's why we have him all the way up at number three on our list with 19 points. Uh, tied, as we said, with another individual. Um, this other individual also had 19 points. And he got that way from being number five on my personal list, number six on Bob's and Adam had him up at number three on his. It's your boy, Bob, the Russian nightmare, Nikita Koloff coming in as the other person at number three with 19 points. How about you start us off, Bob? Let's talk about Nikita Koloff. Definitely my boy. Uh, one rain, 328 days that he held up before. Um, uh, Again, just like Magnum TA, this guy this guy represented NWA uh, to the fullest. Um, you know, one of the best superstars in the in wrestling at that time in the NWA between 1985 through about that 92 era. Uh, he was a great face, but I thought he was even better as a heel. Um, you know, he the legendary feuds that he had with Magnum TA, with Dusty Rose, with Ric Flair, and the Four Horsemen. Um, you know, he was just a monster that you would see in the ring and uh, just so much fun. He, we, we mentioned earlier, uh, Magnum was stripped of the belt. So they have the best of seven series for the vacant belt. And um, they unified the U.S. belt and the NWA national belt at that time. So uh, Nikita Koloff wins it and he holds the belt for 328 days, defends the belt 67 times. Uh, Magnum T.A., Wahoo McDaniel, Ronnie Garvin, Tully Blanchard, Jimmy Garvin, Arn Anderson, Flair, Luger, Rick Rude, Ivan Koloff, you know, the Dory Funk, um, you know, just the, the legends that he wrestled during that time. Um, he was just, at, he kind of flip-flopped in the middle. At one time, he's a heel, and then he eventually, when, when Magnum TA got injured, he turned into the face, and, and you know, he became a great face during that time. But 
He eventually loses the belt to Luger at the Great American Bash. But uh, when he was champ, he was a dominating champ, and he was fun to watch. So, um, again, I don't think he ever won the actual main, main belt, but um, holding the U.S. belt, he, he was a hell of a champ. Yeah, most definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, Nikita Koloff, I remember, you know, Nikita Koloff, of course, was one of the best heels back in the day. You know, they did the whole, you know, Russian nightmare is the Cold War. So, of course, anybody Russian was going to be a heel. Um, but I remember, you know, growing up and, and watching it a little bit and just being like, you know, when they turned Nikita Koloff face, and, of course, he had that run with the belt, wasn't he, you know, a lot of it as a face. I always remember, it was like, it's kind of weird that they had a Russian in the middle of the Cold War as a baby face, you know, that just seemed kind of weird to me, but they made it work. Yeah. You know, I, I think it was, I, I think it was Dusty's decision to turn him face. So just Correct. having yeah. a sympathetic Russian, um, in the, in the, yeah, yeah. A sympathetic Russian in the middle of the cold war. Um, yeah, just hey, they, they were able to pull it off. So you know, kudos to them. And, and they, what's that? You said a, a Russian holding the United States belt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's it, it, it shouldn't have worked, but it did. And it, and it speaks volumes as to why um, Nikita was such a great champion and held that belt. He made it work. And, yeah, I mean, he was one of those guys where, you know, of course, he wasn't Russian in real life. Guy was from Minnesota, but he, you know, kayfabe, one of the best heels of all time, and honestly, made it work the other way. He was a hell of a babyface too when he had that championship. Great talent, did a hell of a job with that belt. Yeah, I think he earns his spot at number three here, tied with Greg Valentine with nineteen points. So there we have it, number three, a tie between Greg Valentine and Nikita Koloff. All right, let's move to number two. Number two on our list comes in with 26 points. He was number two on my personal list. Adam had him at number four on his personal list. Bob, he was your A number one, so let's start with you. At number two, 26 points, as I said, it's the nature boy, Ric Flair. Let's talk about Ric Flair, Bob. How? What, In your opinion, how is he? the best U.S. champ of all time. He's Ric Flair. That's all you well, got. Yeah, there you go. Most influential wrestler of all time. Um, you know, obviously we all know him as the um, the amazing heavyweight champion that he was. But, um, you know, before he was heavyweight champ, Ric Flair made chasing after the U.S. belt something fun to watch. I already know who number one is. And um, I'll, I'll definitely defend my Ric Flair pick number here. But, uh First, he holds the belt six times, 773 days. So July of 77, he wins his first belt <coughs> Excuse me, against Bobo Brazil. Um, defends the belt 22 times. Dick Slater, Ricky Steamboat, Dusty Rhodes, Andre the Giant, Wahoo McDaniels, Bobo Brazil. He loses the belt back to Steamboat. He even defends it against our boy Tony Atlas, who we all know is Saba Simba. Um. April 78, he wins a second belt from Mr. Wrestling, holds that belt for 253 days, defends the belt 59 times. Um, 
he defends it against Snuka, Steamboat, Blackjack Mulligan, Dick Murdoch, Wahoo. Again, he loses the belt to Steamboat. Third third time he picks it up, April of 78, again, Mr. Wrestling. 30 times he defends it, Steamboat, Dino Bravo, Jimmy Snuka, Paul Orndorff, Dusty Rhodes, Buddy Rogers, um, Bob Backlund, Ernie Ladd, Ken Patera. But this time he doesn't lose the belt. He uh, he wins a tag team title, so he has to vacate the belt. I think he won it with Blackjack Mulligan, actually. So they're, yeah, I believe so. Uh, the fourth time, April of 80, Jimmy Snuka. He wins the title from him. Holds it for 98 days, 23 times. He defends it against Snuka, Valentine, uh, two against my boy, the Iron Sheik, and he eventually loses it to Valentine. Then November of 80 against Valentine, he picks it up again, holds it for 64 days, defends it 16 times, eight versus Valentine, eight versus Roddy Piper, drops the belt to Piper. And then we fast forward 16 years later, July of 96 at the Great American Bash. He beats Tony's favorite Latino wrestler, Conan, uh, holds it for 141 <laughs> days, and um, and he defends the belt five times. Uh, during that five times, Randy Savage, Eddie Guerrero, Chavo Guerrero, um, but then he has two illustrious bouts against Jim Powers and the Booty Man. Um, I'll save it for when I get to number one when we talk about it and why Defend Flair is number one. But uh, I just thought the defenses that he had, the quality of opponents that he had, um, just the legendary feuds that he had with the Steamboats, the Pipers, um, you know, going up against the, for the titles. That's why I put Ric Flair number one. Hey, you know, I had him in number two. I mean, you can't go wrong with, with Ric Flair. You know, to me, yeah, I, I know who number one is, of course, as well. But, um you know, and I had that particular person as number one on my list too, but that's the only way that I ever put that particular person over Ric Flair was for this particular belt. Um, you know, Flair, you know, he he's no slouch when it comes to the U.S. championship. Like I said, it, it was the top belt there for a long time in Jim Crockett promotions, which was Flair's home territory, and it seemed like whenever – Flair didn't have the NWA championship. He had the United States championship since it was the top belt in that territory. So Flair was just the champion's champion. And, you know, how can you argue with Ric Flair? I mean, I, 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 I edged, he got edged out by the person who's going to be number one just because of, you know, how long that particular, particular person was able to hold this belt which was you know astonishing in my peer in my eyes but you know flair holding the belt for six six reigns which is a record you know to me there's it's like a one it's like a number one and a number one a kind of thing you know it's they're, they're neck and neck i just had you know the uh, the person who finished first a little bit ahead when it comes to this particular discussion in my mind. So that's why I put Flair second. Um, like I said, Adam had him fourth, uh, but I know he's as big of a Flair mark as anybody as well. So, yeah, you know, 26 points, like I said, solidly number two on our list is the nature boy, Ric Flair. 
All right. Well, that brings us to our top pick. But like we do every week on the show, before we get to our top pick, let's go through our five honorable mentions. Uh, These honorable mentions are mentions that the wrestlers who got enough votes um, didn't get enough votes to make the top 10, but they did get enough votes to at least get a mention here on our list. So let's start with our first honorable mention, which would be number 11 overall on our list. Um, He got two points and those two points came solely from Adam. Um, Number 11 on our list. Our first honorable mention is stunning. Steve Austin coming in with two points on our list. Our first honorable mention. Um, I'll talk in Adam stead for Austin. Of course, um, Austin had, uh, you know, it's a it's a good news, bad news thing when it came to Austin and uh, the United States Championship. Uh, he had his first run with the belt. Uh, he beat uh, Dustin Rhodes for it at Starcade in a two out of three falls match. And you know those two, uh, you know, two out of three falls matches usually go the whole three falls. What was surprising about this particular two out of three falls match for the championship was that Austin won it in two straight falls. He beat Dustin Rhodes. He took his, he took the United States championship from him, from him. And um, yeah, that's what started Austin's first reign as champion. Uh, he would eventually lose the belt to Ricky Steamboat and he was scheduled to face him in a rematch at a, at a fall brawl, but Steamboat was unable to wrestle because he was injured. So in a rare case that uh, the belt wasn't vacated, instead of uh, being vacated, they just gave the belt back to Austin out of forfeit. So there we go. Um, You know, Austin was awarded the title, but then that second reign uh, lasted only five minutes because he eventually would job in uh, really, really bad fashion to the person who would replace Steamboat, that being Hacksaw Jim Duggan, this being one of the most infamous squash matches in wrestling history. Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, well, the guy who would eventually become Stone Cold Steve Austin, jobbing the Hacksaw Jim Duggan in a match that lasts about 30 seconds. Uh, and yeah, that was it when it came to Austin in the United States championship. So, like I said, it was good news and bad news for Austin. You know, he had a good showing against Dustin Rhodes to win the belt. And, uh, yeah, he, uh, would be awarded the belt again, but would unceremoniously job out to Hacksaw Jim Duggan to lose that second and last reign with the belt. So, like I said, Adam had him at number nine on his list. That's how he got to be our first honorable mention. Um, so yeah, there we go. Steve Austin with two points on on our list. Bobby, have anything to add, or was is that about enough? No, you're good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there we go. Number eleven on our list. Stunning Steve Austin, as he was known back then. All right, um, let's go to number. 12 on our list, number 12 coming in with one and a half points. And that's because he was a unanimous honorable mention. All three of us had him as an honorable mention on our lists. We're talking about the hot rod, Roddy Piper coming in at number 12 on our list uh, with one and a half points. Bob, 
let's have you go. Let's talk about Roddy Piper and his runs with the United States Championship. So Piper was fun. We all know Piper, obviously, um, one of the sports' most known popular personalities that ever go at it. But three reigns, 220 days. Um, January of 81 holds a belt for 193 days <clears throat> after he defeats the legendary Ric Flair. Uh, holds a belt and defends it 54 times. Flair, Steamboat, Blackjack Mulligan, Andre the Giant, Dusty Rhodes, uh, my boy, the missing link. I always liked the missing link. He was fun. If you ever remember him and, uh, Wahoo McDaniel. And then he loses the belt, uh, in August of 81. Then April of 83, two years later, he wins the belt. He holds it for two weeks against Greg the hammer. Valentine defends it once against Valentine before he loses the belt to Valentine. And, uh, f- then we go again, kind of like flair 16 years later, February of 99, uh, holds the belt again for two weeks, 13 days. Uh, he beats Bret Hart on Nitro. Well, that's when uh, legendary comedian uh, Will Sasso, and I say legendary uh, with huge emphasis, uh, Will Sasso jumps in, interferes, and um, helps Piper beat Bret Hart, uh, but then he eventually loses it two weeks later to a Scott Hall at Super Brawl. But um, the last two ones weren't that great, but when he beat Flair and he held that title for the first time, I had to put him in my honorable mentions just because of the people he defended it against. Um, you know, love love Piper, and he never really got a chance, uh, you know, with the big, big belts, but when he had the U.S. title, he represented it well. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like I said, Piper, you know, to me, his runs with the U.S. Championship, you know, that feud he had with Greg Valentine, I think, comes out on, you know, to the, to the top of my mind. But, yeah, he was uh, just, you know, not one, you know, a lot of people remember his runs, of course, with WWF, the the utmost when they think of Roddy Piper. And, of course, when he was there, he didn't really have much championship success. You know, he had, a, he had that run with the IC belt, but that was about it. Um, but, yeah him holding that United States championship, um, you know, in his career is a big deal. And he, you know, like all the guys on this list, when he had it, he elevated that championship and he, he did a great job with it. So I have no, you know, like I said, he was on my honorable mentions too. And yeah, there we go with one and a half points. Roddy Piper coming in with, because he was a unanimous honorable mention. All right. Let's go to number 13 on our list, our third uh, honorable mention here. Um, This person also comes in with one and a half points as a unanimous honorable mention. All three of us had him as a unanimous honorable mention, but um, he, uh, you know, I decided not to do tiebreakers in the honorable mentions. So he go, you know, it's kind of like a, you could, Take it or leave it. They're both honorable mentions. Doesn't matter where they rank, really, in this sense. Uh, but I decided to put Sting at number th- thirteen as our third honorable mention pick here, with one and a half points. Um, Sting had two runs with the United States Championship. Um, you know, of course, uh, what was it? Uh, he defeated. Um, sorry, I'm just looking through my. Uh, my notes here. I know he uh, he he def- won it the first time. He he beat um the aforementioned stone uh, stunning Steve Austin in a tournament 
for the vacant U.S. championship back in August of 1991, and he held the belt for 86 days, and that's when uh, he lost it to Rick Rude. And as we mentioned with Rick Rude, he would go on to hold that belt for 14 months after beating Sting. Um, But, yeah, Sting would go on, and uh, he would – you know, I, I forgot who who did Sting win his uh who did he have his second uh Meng. victory in the US? He he beat Meng for it. Yeah, that's right. Like what was it? Like ninety four, ninety five around there, right? Ninety five at the Great American Bash. <clears throat> there we go. <clears throat> yeah, that was something that I couldn't find in my notes. But yeah, like I said, two runs with the belt. Sting, like Ric Flair, there's nothing you can really say about Sting that's bad. You know, I'm honestly surprised he didn't have that belt more times considering how over Sting was. Um he definitely would have been a candidate to be a you know to hold the US championship for much longer than what he did. Um but yeah, I mean for what he had it, you know, he I th- I think he more than deserves an honorable mention. I wouldn't put him in the top 10 and I didn't. But yeah, I think he definitely, you know, I have no problem with him being on the outskirts looking in as an honorable mention. Um, Bob, what do you have to say about Sting and his runs with the U.S. championship? Like you mentioned, uh, he uh, he held the belt twice, 234 days. He, he was great as a champ, but uh, again, I, I, I put him in my mentions just because of his defenses. Um, you know, Luger won the title and, and the, the U.S. belt is vacated. So this is a tournament that like you mentioned. He beat Steve Austin in 91. Uh, he only defends the belt twice during the 86 days that he has it. He defends it once against Johnny B. Bad, and he defends it once in Japan, and then he loses it to Rick Rude. Second one, Vader stripped of the belt, um, so now the vacant tournament again, and he beats Ming in the finals. Here he defends the belt 14 times. Ming, Bunkhouse Bunk, Lord Steven Regal, VK Wall Street, Brian Pillman, and The Shark, and also Ric Flair, but I mean... I just gave you a wonderful list of people he defended against. And, you know, it's just like, wow, that's that's who you're defending the U.S. belt against. Uh, you know, that's why I had to put him in my honorable mentions. Just, I mean, he was a great champ. He lost the belt to Kansuke Sasaki in Japan. But uh, it was just like I had to put him in the mentions just because of that. But uh, I didn't put him any higher because of the defenses he had. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Exactly. It was it was just a case of him not, you know, just the defenses and everything. Just the only fact he only had two runs. Yeah, definite, definite honorable mention, but no higher than that. So there we go. Sting coming in at number 13 on our list. All right. At number 14, coming in with one point. Uh, and he got that one point because he was an honorable mention on both Bob and Adam's list. It's Sergeant Slaughter coming in at number 14 on our list. Bob, what do you got to say about the Sarge? The good old Sarge. Um, an- another recognizable figure. We all knew the Sarge from his, you know, stars in the WWF and the early 80s challenging Backlund for the title. But then he left for Mid-Atlantic and uh, became champ t- two times, 305 days. Um, the title is vacated because Wahoo McDaniel is injured. So October of 81, he wins a 16-man tournament, beating Ricky the Dragon Steamboat in the finals. Holds the belt for 229 days, defends it 59 times. Um, Ricky Steamboat, Barry Windham, Barry Windham's dad, uh, Blackjack Mulligan that we talked about, uh, Jack Briscoe, Don the Rock Morocco, 
Dusty Rhodes, Tommy Rich, Jake the Snake Roberts, and he loses the belt to Wahoo. And then uh, June of 82, he wins it again, holds it for 76 days again because Wahoo's injured. We talked about that earlier. He can't defend the title, so it's given back to the previous champ, which was Slaughter, so now he has it again. Defends the belt 12 times. Wahoo, Mike Rotunda, who we all know as IRS, uh, Jimmy Valiant, Angelo Mosca, uh, Jake to Snake Roberts, and then he loses it to Wahoo. From there, he ends up leaving, goes over to the WWF, becomes heavyweight champion over there, and uh, you know the rest is history for the Sarge there. But during that time when he was in the NWA Crocker Promotions, uh, he was a pretty damn good champ, especially that first reign. So I had to put him on my list. Yeah, <clears throat> Sergeant Slaughter. I mean, he wasn't on my list, but um, yeah, definitely deserves an honorable mention. Uh, Adam had him on his honorable mention, so he's in lockstep with you. But, yeah, I don't have a problem with the Sarge being on the list. So there you go. One point. Sergeant Slaughter coming in at number 14. All right. And at number 15, also with one point. And he got that one point because he was number 10 on your list, Bob. Let's talk about the Superfly, Jimmy Snuka, coming in as our last honorable mention at number 15. One title defense, 231 days for one of the sports legendary high flyers. Like we, we watching wrestling back in that day, you know, we weren't used to the aerial moves. We had never seen them before. And then here comes Jimmy Superfly Snuka and he just takes over for us. Um, you know, before he became an even bigger name in the WWF, he, he established himself at mid Atlantic and, um, you know, he, he, Signed with them in 77 by 79. He's already, you know, going after the belts. Um, Flair won the titles with Blackjack Mulligan, like I said. So there's a tournament for the belt because the belt is always vacated, like we mentioned earlier. And again, Ricky the Drambid Steamboat's in the finals, this time against Jimmy Snuka. Uh, September 79, Snuka wins, holds the belt for 231 days. Defends it 45 times, 24 of those belt defenses against Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat, Blackjack Mulligan, Mr. Wrestling, Andre the Giant before losing the Flair in the 80, uh, in, in 1980. Um, he was great. He has a heel. He was great as a face. Uh, the dude had just this amazing speed and agility and strength that just made him a fun wrestler to watch. And um, like I said, we, we got more introduced to him later on as growing up as kids when we saw him in the WWF. But he, uh, he, he definitely made a name for himself in Mid-Atlantic over there. Yeah, most definitely. Yep. So there we go. Number 15 on our list, our fifth honorable mention, Jimmy the Superfly Snooker. All right. Well, without further ado, everybody, let's go to our number one pick. Our number one pick coming in with 29 points, just short of being a unanimous uh, 30-point winner. Um, He got those 29 points because he was number one on my list. He was number one on Adam's list. Bob, you had him at number two. And like you said, you're going to explain your defense when you talk about him. We're talking about the total package, of course. Lex Luger coming in at number one on our list overall with 29 points. Uh, Lex Luger, like I said, I mean, he's not going to win any other uh, lists over Ric Flair, uh, in my opinion, aside from this one. Because, you know, Lex Luger just had, he had a monster run with, with uh, the U.S. Championship, you know, he had five reigns, um, a total of uh, what was it, nine hundred and 
how many days with the bow? It was it was like nine hundred and what? Like nine fifty. How, how many? Nine fifty. Nine. 950. Yeah. nine uh, what was that? I said nine fifty. I'm sorry. Nine, yeah, nine fifty. Nine hundred and fifty days combined uh, through all of his reigns with that belt. That's that's fucking impressive. That's that's over what like you know that's almost three years combined with the belt. I think if I'm doing my math correctly. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely not nothing to be sneezed at. Uh, he won his first uh, belt beating Nikita Koloff at the Great American Bash in 87, uh, held that. That reign was 138 days. Then he dropped the belt to Dusty Rhodes in a steel cage match at Starcade 87. Um, you know, again, belt was vacated because uh, after that, Luger again would win the belt by beating uh, Barry Windham at the Chi-Town Rumble in February of 89, held that belt held that in the second reign for just 76 days before he lost it to Michael P.S. Hayes at Wrestle War 89. Um, but then he just, you know, Michael Hayes, of course, was just a transition champ. That that run only lasted a couple weeks before Luger beat him at a house show in May of 89. Um, you know, and that third run, that third reign uh, that, Lex Luger had after being Michael Michael Hayes, he held that belt for 523 days in that reign. That is by far, um, you know, the longest single uh, reign that anybody ever had with the U.S. championship. Um, so he held that from May of 89 all the way up until Halloween Havoc of 1990 when he dropped the belt to Stan Hansen. And then he won the belt back from Hanson at Starcade 90 in a Texas bull rope match. That fourth reign lasting another 210 days. Uh, and then he would, again, our famous vac- vacates of the tight our uh, vacating of the title here um, in July of 1991, Luger would win the U S the world heavyweight championship. And after that, he would vacate the U.S. championship, that's when they had that tournament that Sting would eventually win. Um, yeah, so that was uh, the fourth run with the belt. And then let me look over here. Luger would have his last his last reign, his fifth and final reign, uh, on an episode of Nitro, August the August 10th, 1998 um, episode of Nitro. He beat uh, Bret Hart. But that reign, you know, he would go, have the highest of highs for having a 523-day uh, reign in his third reign. This last uh, this last reign, the fifth reign, only lasted three days. He, uh, he won it on Nitro, and then he lost it three days later back to Bret Hart on Thunder in August of 1998. So there you go. Five overall runs with the U.S. Championship. 950 days combined holding it. I mean, say what you will about Lex Luger. Uh, definitely not one of the best workers of all time. But he, I think, in my opinion, 
uh, that U.S. championship, when I think of the U.S. championship, I always think of Lex Luger holding it. You know, I, I don't really th- see Ric Flair when I think of the U.S. championship. I always, when I, whenever I think Flair, I always think of the, the big belt, the heavyweight championship. That's the one I always think of. But when I think Luger, that U.S. belt, that's what comes to mind. And that's why I put him at number one. I think he epitomizes that belt. Uh, Bob, you had him at number two. Uh, what do you got to say about uh, the total package as a U.S. champ? So what you said at the end was, was perfectly you know, summarized greatly for him. When, when you think of Lex Luger and you think of the U.S. belt, they go hand in hand. You picture him with that belt wrapped around him, and it's just, you know, they, they that that's just the belt he always had. Um, you know, as, as a face or as a heel, he was always either holding the belt or he was chasing the belt. He had legendary feuds with Sting and with Ric Flair. Um, and, and the reigns were impressive, you know, don't get me wrong. I put them at number two for a reason, but when I talked about earlier, it's the defenses that make or break someone for me. Um, his first reign was the one where he defended it the most. Uh, you know, you mentioned that he beat Nikita Koloff in the steel cage, defends about 36 times, uh, against road warrior Hawk and Nikita Koloff, Barry Windham, Dusty Rhodes, you know, Sting. And he loses it to Dusty at Starcade in the cage. That second reign, 76 days he holds it for. He defends it one time. Uh, the, the long reign that you just mentioned, 523 days. Super impressive. I get it. I understand it. 15 total defenses he had it for. 523 days he defended it 15 times. Against Flair, against Sid Vicious, against Sting, Tommy Rich, Ricky Steamboat, Brian Pillman. Great athletes, great wrestlers. But then you also defend it against people named Ranger Ross, Rusty Rose, <laughs> um, Richard Sartan, the Samoan Savage. Who the fuck are these people? You know, like the, the biggest jobber flayer went up against was Tony Atlas. And Tony Atlas is a WWE Hall of Famer, Saba Simba. You know, we know him as that. But um, you, you go, that, that was just. The, his, his long reign, 523 days to defend it 15 times. Uh, the, the fourth reign, 210 time, or 10 days that he holds it after he beats Stark, uh, Stan Hansen. 210 days, nine total defenses. Uh, Great Muda, Nikita Koloff, Dan Spivey, who is my boy. I love Waylon Mercy. I had to mention him. But then you're defending, you're defending against Magnum Force, Joe Cruz, Doug Vines, some guy named Alan Martin got two title defenses. Like, who the fuck are these people? Um, you know, like he he those that five long reigns that he had for nine hundred and fifty days, he defended the title sixty two times total. Ric Flair, in one year when he had the belt, his second reign, two hundred fifty three days, he defended it fifty nine times. That's one reign that Flair had to compared to all of Luger's reigns. And again, I'm telling you that he went up against Steamboat, Snuka, Blackjack Mulligan. I get it. The errors were different, 78 and 87, you know, 89, 12 years difference there. But just the fact that Flair went up against the cream of the crop during his time and he was defending the belt. Again, I, I completely agree with you where I picture Flair, I picture heavyweight champion. I picture Luger, I picture U.S. champion. Don't get me wrong with that, but I had to defend Flair in this aspect because Flair was a defending champ. Six reigns, 773 days compared to Luger's five, 950. 
I just went with Flair because I felt like he had stiffer competition, more people that he would go up against. And I felt like he just represented the title better. Yeah, Luger is a picture of it, the face of it. But 523 days of impressive with 15 defenses, that just doesn't do it for me. Sir, you make an impressive argument. Try. You do. You know, it's, you know, and, and you're right. You're right. I mean, it's Luger. I think, of course, Luger's not going to be the one to, to dictate who wins the championships, of course. That's a Booker's job. But I think when it came to Luger and that championship, they protected him a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, they they knew what it, you know, they knew what his positives were, but they also knew what his negatives were. And they knew that while Luger, you know, is an impressive guy to work with, he he never was the best worker in the ring. Um, that's why whenever he did have runs with the with the championship, they were never long runs. Um, he was more suited for a belt like the U.S. championship mm-hmm. where you could put something on him and give him some kind of prestige, just not have him be the face of the company. Agreed. You know, 100%. So, so that's that's exactly why I had Luger number one overall. Um, so, yeah. There you go. At number one, the total package, Lex Luger with 29 points. All right. So there's our list. And like we do every week, let's do a quick rundown of our list, starting from number 10. At number 10 with three points, we have MVP. At number nine with six points, we have Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. At number eight with eight points, John Cena. At number seven, with eight and a half points, we have Wahoo McDaniel. At number six, with nine and a half points, we have Rick Rude. At number five, with 12 points, Magnum TA. At number four, with 18 points, is Blackjack Mulligan. At number three, we have a tie, both wrestlers coming in with 19 points. We have Greg the Hammer Valentine. And Nikita Koloff, again, coming in at a tie at number three. At number two with 26 points, we have the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. And at number one, as we just said, with 29 points, the total package, Lex Luger coming out as our pick on the Enhancement Talent as the top U.S. champion of all time. So there you go. Uh, what do you think of the list, Bob? You think that's a fair representation of the United States Championship? Yeah. Um, I, you know, you mentioned the WWE guys. I think if anyone else that we had to throw in there, uh, again, another person I always pictured with the U.S. belt was Barry Windham. Um, you know, he yeah. stood out to me. Um, I th- but other than that, I, I think it's a good list. Yeah, and like I said, if you're going to include WWE guys like I did, because I'm a dumbass, you know, you kind of have to mention, uh, you know, Dean Ambrose or John Moxley, as he's now known. You know, he's of the WWE era. He had the longest run with the U.S. championship. But then again, you know, in the WWE, the U.S. championship, while still active, is kind of an afterthought. I mean, Sheamus has it now, for fuck's sake. So, you know, but, hey. You know, that was my fault again for, you know, ignoring my own rule. But I think this is a pretty solid list. I'm happy with it. So, yeah, there we go. Our list for the top 10 
United States champions of all time. All right. Well, that's another show in the books, ladies and gentlemen. But before we go, like we do every week, we are going to give you a match of the week. That's a match that you guys can watch in the meantime, in between time, until next week when we come at you with another episode. Uh, Bob, what do you have as your match of the week this week? I went with the uh, the aforementioned match that you mentioned earlier, the dog collar match, Starcade 83. Greg the Hammer Valentine, Roddy Piper. Uh, it wasn't for the belt, but just the uh, the match that those two put on uh, was one hell of a match. And it's, uh, to me, it represents you know the the feuds going on for the U.S. belt, and it stands out. So uh, that that's definitely a, a must watch match. Yeah, I'm, I'm I was going in that similar vein because my match of the week this week was the I quit match between Magnum TA and Tully Blanchard. You know, that's, you know, you think of that dog collar match and you think of that I quit match. Those are two of the best, most brutal matches you're ever going to see. And both of those matches, of course, involved the United States championship. I know the, the dog collar match that one at Starcade was a not, was a non-title match, but um, yeah, that, that I quit match between Tully and Tully and Magnum, you know, the culmination of just a really intense blood feud between those two. Um, yeah, one of the best, I think, one of the watershed moments of uh, Mid-Atlantic and Jim Crockett promotions of all time. So, yeah, that's my match of the week this week is the, uh, the, the I quit match between Magnum TA and Tully Blanchard. Good pick. Yeah, thank you, sir. All right, well. Like I said, that's another uh, episode in the books. We want to thank you guys for uh, for participating. Oh, God, I almost forgot. I almost forgot. We, uh, I believe we had some uh, some input in our last episode here. Yep. One second. Let me pull this up real quick. We cannot ignore our, our good friend, the uh, Mouth of the South Suburbs, Rich Tito. He... Uh, he had some input, Mouth of the South Suburbs, Rich Tito coming in here with his own top 10 Intercontinental Champions of all time. Let's go with number 10. He had Greg the Hammer Valentine at number nine, Razor Ramon. At number eight, Chris Jericho. At number seven, Shawn Michaels. At number six, Mr. Perfect. At number five, Tito Santana. At number four, Pat Patterson. At number three, the Honky Tonk Man. At number two, Bret Hart. And at number one, like we all had, unanimous all the way around, Macho Man Randy Savage as his number one. Here's his little comment here. Honestly, the IC belt feels like an old school belt. It elevated Bret Hart, Savage, and later on, The Rock and Austin. And it was a joke in the late 90s and early 2000s until you had those great Benoit and Jericho matches. He said it was really hard to keep Benoit off of this personal list, or off of this particular list. I agree. Benoit was but was a pretty good uh, IC champ in that era, uh, and it was hard for me to keep him off my list as well. But yeah, I, I mean, I have no problem with Rich's list. What, what do you have to What do you have to say about uh, Rich's list here? His uh, particular IC. Uh, top 10 it, it was like pretty much how you mentioned it was definitely a good list i'm very surprised pat patterson was all the way up at four um that's the only thing that kind of yeah. threw me off i mean obviously he was the inaugural champ we talked about him um 
I don't even remember if he made our list. I think he might have, if anything, he might have been in the, like the late honorable mentions towards the end. Uh, yeah, I, I think he, I think he was an honorable mention if I remember correctly. Because, like you said, like uh, like we know last week, pretty much everybody that we listed was mentioned on the show because they all we had a lot of guys who came in with just a half a correct. point. But yeah, I'm pretty sure Pat Patterson was was there as an honorable. Yeah, mention. but other than that, I mean. Um, pretty good list thank you for for from richie for definitely uh you know partaking in that and i I know richie's an old school nwa fan so i look forward to what he has to say about our uh our list coming up when when he he listens to this episode yeah definitely definitely interested to see what his uh top 10 united states championship list is going to be but be like rich interact with us go on our facebook fan page uh leave us a comment you know, interact with us there. We'll, we'll bring it on line. We will talk about it on the show. I almost forgot this week, but for, remember just in the nick of time. And like I said, interact with us. We're totally about interaction here on the Enhancement Talent. You could leave us a comment on our Facebook fan page, or you can drop us a line on an email. Our email address is enhancementtalent316 at gmail.com. Again, that's enhancementtalent316 at gmail.com. All right. Well, thanks again, everybody, for listening to us again this week. We will come back at you with some more wrestling goodness next week. But until then, for the other half of the Fabulous Lopez Cousins, Dr. Bob Lopez, I'm Tony Lopez. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Good night.